Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom designed storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at CaliforniaClosets.com. When I was in high school, I knew the exact moment when the first period of lunch began, not because of a bell or a strange odor emanating from the cafeteria, but from the crunch of power cords blasting out of car stereos in the back parking lot. This was the mid-1980s, and rock ruled the world. Like most teenage males, my bedroom walls were covered with posters of Angus Young and Iron Maiden's Eddie. The floorboard of my little Volkswagen bug was littered with cassette tapes from a wide spectrum of artists, from Joy Division to Judas Priest, and from Prince to The Pretenders, and my nightstand was covered with rock magazines. These days, rock is probably not the dominant sound blasting out of high school parking lots, and as we've been discussing here on Pop Life this month, there are even some who have proclaimed that rock is dead. But there are signs of life. Venerable bands continue packing stadiums, and new acts are popping up on the charts. Perhaps the strongest evidence that rock remains a vibrant part of our culture is the return of one of rock's greatest magazines, Cream. The iconic rock magazine was founded in Detroit in 1969 and was the venue for some of the best rock journalism and criticism until it shut down in 1989. But in September of this year, Cream came back into print with a brilliant first issue proclaiming that rock is dead and so is print. I'm Kendall Phillips, and I'm thrilled to be joined on this episode by the individuals behind Cream's return, the legendary rock journalist Jan Yahelski and Cream's CEO, John Martin. Jan and John, welcome to Pop Life. Thank you for having us. It's delightful to be here and that you were a Cream fan, but you should have cleaned up that Volkswagen. Uh, you know, in retro... <laughs> The, the real problem was the damage I did to all the cassette tapes by them being stepped on and cigarettes put out on them, etc. So in retrospect, there's so much of my old music collection I wish I still had. Uh, but what I want to, of course, I have a million questions about both of you. You're just such legendary figures in rock journalism and in publishing. But I do want to start with, I guess, the, the, the first key question. Why bring back Cream now? I think a lot of the mantra of rock is dead springs from the fact that there was no champion of rock and roll for the last 30 plus years. You know, by the time Cream went away, all the other you know, quote unquote publications or networks were, you know, gonna, were doing another few years of rock and that was it. And then they, they moved on. So there was no champion to really wave the flag for rock and roll. And that's what, that's what Cream does. You know, absolutely. It is funny now that you mention it. I never thought of it. You know, 1989 does not seem like a particular like end of rock moment for me. There were still a lot of great bands around. There were lots of new bands coming out, new sort of iterations of rock music. So I, this is a question I honestly don't know. Why did Cream shut down in 1989? Was it simply a financial matter, or I? Well, you know, it, I don't know if you know much of the history, but. Um, Barry Kramer, our publisher, had died in 1981, I believe, and Connie Kramer, his wife, carried on. I mean, sad, devastated by Barry's death, and um, Lester died in that time period as well, although he had already left. And 
she tried as she might to keep it going. So during that time period, she sold it and it became a different magazine with different aims and different management and music has changed. It had moved to Los Angeles. I mean, everything about it was very uncream like it didn't have that spirit. It didn't have that. We're all the same, you know, that us and them, like we were like our own version of Met Club, which would come later or the Kiss Army, you know, that that whole sense of community was lost. And I think it just petered out. It, it didn't have that wild Detroit spirit. I mean, there's something really very Detroit about cream, even in this iteration. It's that us against the world. We like, you know, we had this campaign about publicists that you might have run into, you know, and and, you know, pissed off a lot of people. But it's like we're in it. We're the people's magazine. We're the we're championing people's rock. And I think that's the same. And I think when it left the planet or whatever, it wasn't doing that, that it wasn't fulfilling that mission statement. So how do you, that's fascinating because it is, it is interesting to me that I do feel like a lot of younger people don't know the importance of Detroit. Like, you know, we sort of know New York City and L.A. and maybe Nashville now. But people, you know, I'm not sure everyone knows, especially younger folks, the, the kind of really pivotal role that Detroit played in kind of creating that American rock, punk, early sound. And Cream was right there in it. So how do you keep that Detroit spirit in the magazine now in a, in, in a very different time? Well, since John isn't a Detroiter, maybe that's um, something he should answer. I think I know the answer, but I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Detroiter, even if I don't live there. I mean, you have to find the people that have that tone of voice, and not everyone does, right? So you have to get the editors and the writers, the contributors, the photographers, the illustrators who get it. And it's actually gotten harder to find those people over the years. I think in the last 20 years in the era of internet writing, there was sort of in the beginning, that spirit was there in a lot of sort of the best blogs and, and such in the early, early aughts. And then that tone of voice that's disappeared because it was, it was a, a click-based and a like-based uh, uh, culture and, and rewards. And so everyone stopped writing for, you know, they, they stopped using their real voices and they started using voices that would just simply make the most people smile. And Cream, it doesn't do that. Cream tells the truth. Which is very Detroit, right? I mean, Jan, that, that seems yeah. to be the spirit of Detroit music and Detroit journalism is like it or not, ugly as it is, here's what it is. I know. I, I think what, I, I thought a lot about this when we restarted and what the original cream does and what this version, this improved version almost does is that we always wrote about what we hated and what we loved, but there was never in between. Like we weren't writing about great. And John is so right about losing a voice that was authentic because it wasn't reinforced. I mean, the years that there wasn't a cream and I was writing, I'd write for publications where they would say things like, don't use the personal pronoun. You know, don't put yourself in the story. And it was really homogenized. There's a magazine I write for to this day that will go unnamed that they always try to make me sound like a 30-year-old English guy, you know, um, because it's really homogenized. They have a voice. That's fine. That's their voice. Cream isn't like that. Cream really 
glorify the individual. Just be who you are, take it or leave it. Um, I think that we were all in the beginning, a bunch of primitives who didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know what was right or what was wrong. And that's how it came out of our intense fandom. And actually we really saw ourselves, God bless Robert Crisco, but even before he has consumer guide that we were consumer advocates for teenagers and we didn't want them spending their money on bad cassettes that they would throw around in their car. <laughs> and, um, it was really important for us to make sure that they didn't make bad purchases. So I know that sounds corny, but that was really at the heart of a lot of the writing. No, I would say what I loved about Cream uh, in that iteration was that I knew that I knew the journalists. Like I, I didn't know you, but I knew the voice. It was not everybody sounded the same. Everybody had a very distinct approach and very distinct response. And there were bands that people loved and hated, and you kind of knew that. But back to a point John made, I mean, we are in an age where there is a ton of content. Everybody can set up a blog. Everybody is a critic. Everybody can write about their likes or dislikes. And it is seemingly driven a lot by personality, by clickbait, by everybody being you know likable and creating nonsense stories with great headlines. So how do you cut through that clutter as a magazine that wants to keep that Detroit edge and offer something different. How do you get that space in the marketplace now? So we're not focused on having the most content. We're focused on having the best content. It really is a business and a, an editorial viewpoint of quality over quantity. We publish a quarterly magazine. We have a website that publishes two pieces a week that are magazine quality pieces. They're not blog or digital media quality pieces. And, and I say that with all, you know, with all the affection in the world for websites, but a lot of it is press release driven and really trying to get clicks and sell more ads, uh, you know, to, to Miller, Miller High Life. And, you know, that's, that's not what we're doing. Uh, we are, you know, we have our site behind a paywall. Our magazine is expensive. I guess the other question in that regard is in this era where, you know, we've heard publishing houses having trouble and, and a lot of people moving online and moving to digital, et cetera. Why bring back the print magazine? Why not just go with that website behind the paywall? What for you is the advantage of print? If we were trying to be a newsstand rag and simply deliver, uh, you know, a cheap quality, you know, few dollar cover price uh, magazine, chock full of ads monthly, we wouldn't be in business. You know, print advertising is not a great way to uh, to, to to build and grow your business. Um, there is still money there, but we know that there's actually a better business and the opportunity to make better content by being a subscription business for premium content. The magazine's just the start of that. And if we, you know, can produce, you know, 20 amazing features every quarter in the magazine, augment that with a few premium features on the website every week, we've got a great library of content that we can start building out and putting on other platforms. The magazine is the beating heart of everything we do. It always has been, always will be. 
So, John, I guess the next question I have for you and, and start, starting to pivot to thinking about, you know, the two of you as as the, the brain trust behind Cream, um, why pick Jan to come back and be your editor-in-chief? I mean, there's obviously lots and lots of reasons, but I'd like to hear you tell us why that was your choice. Oh, I'm not the editor-in-chief. I'm like the quality control. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. We'll call you I'm the like, quality control boss. How about that? I am like the spirit animal that does contribute but I make sure, and I've said this before, I feel like I'm the character that you don't see in the Lucy episode where she and Ethel are at the chocolate factory and they're, and the bonbons are coming out and I'm going, not that one. Yeah, that one, that looks good. So I think I, I'm there to make sure it keeps the spirit that was originally there and slowly but surely, or not maybe so slow, I got more and more involved because how could I not? I mean, it is like my legacy, but I've never not been cream. I mean, wherever I write, I'm still bringing that voice, that that kind of familiar, we're all in this together voice. I mean, I think that's my strength is I really are, am the emissary for rock and roll fans. Like I go out there and I ask the questions they really want to know, embarrassing as they might be and awkward. I mean, I think that's my specialty. Sometimes I boil it down with Jan at war with the rock stars, you know, because nobody wants to ask questions, answer questions that um, are hard or, or they have to think or it shows their human side. And I think the ethos for Cream always has been is artists aren't any different than the writers. It's like they're not really more special or more anything except talented and maybe there's this great Lester Bangs quote and he said something I I'm not going to do this from memory I actually it means so much to me I have it taped on my computer don't ask me why I obsessively look to rock and roll bands for some kind of model for a better society I guess it's just that I glimpsed something beautiful in a flashbulb moment once and perhaps mistaking it for prophecy have been seeking its fulfillment ever since and I love the idea that you actually learn something about the culture, about yourself, and maybe even artists are tapped into the big other. And um, that, and that's that's my role at Cream. Like I, you know, I'm not sitting in judgment, but you know, I'm in there, sleeves rolled up, going, "That bonbon looks f-ing good. Let's do it." So. And if anybody could do that, it's clearly you, Jan. I mean, you have been tied into the spirit of Cream since its earlier days. And for those who maybe don't know your your amazing story, uh, as I understand it, you started in the subscription office? I did. Um, I actually was going out with the art director, and it wasn't really that strategic. You know, I mean, I wasn't going out with them so I could get a job, but it helped. And um, one night I, I went to the office for the first time and Barry Kramer the publisher was there and he said excuse my French but who the fuck are you and what are you doing here and I was like oh my god I I, I mean here I was like a 18 year old and I said well I'm not the tooth fairy and what happened was is on the spot I said I was working in a boutique uh, in a mall and I sold t-shirts and I said you know, I understand you have a cash flow problem. I bet I could make you some money. I could start a t-shirt division for you. So he said, well, let's talk about it. 
I mean, it was like such an adult conversation. And I actually put together silk screeners that I knew and I sold them in my boutique. And then I sent my little sister and her friends door to door and they, they made about a thousand dollars and I turned it over to Barry and um, I didn't get a job writing. He said, you seem really good at the business side. How would you like to be the subscription kid? Like, I really don't want to, but I want to get my foot in the door. So I started on the business side, oddly. Were you always wanting to be a writer? I mean, was I guess I've always wanted to ask this question of you. Was, were you drawn to the music and you wanted to be part of that? Or were, were you drawn to the writing and the journalism? Or was it kind of a combination of both? What was as, at, at 18 years old, what was that motivation for you? Um, I'd always written. I mean, I was that kid who wrote stories in school and the teacher would read them, you know? I mean, I just always wrote. But I also somehow decode music like I whatever it is like that quote I read from Lester I think that bonded us because I've always heard the culture I've always heard wisdom I've always heard who someone really is in their music and I actually had a job as a coca-cola girl at this place called the Grandy Ballroom where all the really big ballroom acts would come like Big Brother and the Holding Company and Cream and Led Zeppelin and Who and so I saw all those bands so it wasn't that I was so much an expert, but I was always drawn to the music. I mean, to this day, I still I still read the culture through what music is being played and always the lyrics. You know, people tell the truth. They may lie in every area of their life, but nobody lies in their lyrics. And that's an immutable truth. And I find that is true today as I did when I started in 1971. That's amazing. So I have one more question for you, Jan. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot here, although I really could talk to you all day because I'm just fascinated by your story and all the things you've been part of in rock history. But you were a part of what is what has to be the greatest lineup of rock journalists in the history of the world. I mean, with, with Lester Bangs and Dave Marsh and Roberta Kruger and Ben Edmonds and, and all these sort of folks there together in that one place in Detroit, really crafting and reflecting and engaging the moment of culture. I'm just curious... What was that like for you? And looking back on it now, do you, do you see that as like an amazingly special time? I mean, what is that like? Well, well, you know, Ben Edmonds used to always say we don't like each, none of us like each other, but we're all united by this idea. It, it was like, okay, another illusion. I always think it's a lot like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. All these people that had nothing to do with each other were making mountains out of their mashed potatoes so they went to the same place like we all ended up in the same place ben edmonds was from massachusetts lester was from el cajon california roberta was from down the street and dave marsh was from a, a little industrial town called pontiac and i was from a suburb of detroit and um we were just really united by this one idea i don't know, know that any of us thought what we were doing was special at the time we were having a lot of fun. We, I'm really say when we didn't know what we were doing, we were making no money. We lived in a commune that we got paid $22.75 a week. And we did everything together because nobody had cars. I had a car and a couple, um, Connie Kramer had a car. So it was like we were, there was this forced togetherness. And I think what happened is the level of creativity was so high that we all tried to best each other, you know, like 
and, and there was this hive mind, like, you know, it was kind of like what you imagined the writer's room was like at Saturday Night Live in the 70s. Like, we were always throwing ideas around, building on each other's great, crazy idea. Like, all those captions that people love is really just people, like, riffing back and forth. Um, I, don't, I don't know that even Lester, I mean, Lester, I think what Lester did was he... I always think in some strange way he knew he didn't have a lot of time on this earth because the man wrote nonstop day and night, like 20 hours a day and furiously. And I think the only thing when you asked what that was that like, I kept going, is there something wrong with me that I don't write that fast? You know, um, but, it, but it was good. It was like writer's boot camp and we all got better as a result of it. No, just such an amazing time. So I have one more question. I know I said one more, but I'll always have one more question. I'm like Columbo. One more thing. Um, <laughs> I do have to ask, and, and again, your your career is legendary, and the people you interviewed and and the the, the experiences you had are, of course, uh, amazing. Is there any particular memory that really stands out when you think back to, I guess, that kind of golden age when all of you were together and Detroit was sort of the center of the rock universe and, the, you know, Alice Cooper and the Stooges and all and Kiss coming through and everything? Was there any particular memory that you look back and say, wow, that was a defining moment for me? You know, the defining moment for me is, again, I, if I'm looking for the, the mystery and the secret of the universe in music, I found it when I interviewed um, Leonard Skinner on one of their last tours it was lester's birthday and he said okay you know what i want for my birthday present i want you to take over my interview for leonard skinner and i said i don't know a thing about them so he goes oh, i'll write your questions no problem little lady he always would talk in these affected like antiquated um terms and i said okay i'll do it just for your birthday i'm not buying you a present but this is your present so i I um, went downtown to a hotel, hadn't even seen them play ever, and interviewed them. They were rough and horrible for a while because I was a, a woman, a girl, and they were Southern men. And I think Ronnie Van Zandt took pity on me. And we sat in the corner and he let me interview him. And at the very end of the interview, he said, um, I'm, it's good you're interviewing me. I'm not gonna be around very long. He was 28 and he goes, I'm never gonna see 30. He was a month from his 29th birthday. And I said, oh, you're just tired. It's the last day of the tour. You'll get over it. And he said, no, I've got what Janis Joplin had. I'm not going to live long. I won't see my 30th birthday. And it was like one of those moments because fast forward, I was at a show in Los Angeles and they stopped the show and they said, we have terrible news. Leonard Skinner's uh, plane crashed and there were some survivors, but we don't have the list yet. And I knew in that moment that he had died. And it's like, again, I think I've always given musicians a lot of credit for being tapped into that other thing that the rest of us aren't. And that was a defining moment. Like, I think I looked at them all a little differently because he had this knowledge of things that I, I didn't. I mean, do I want to know? No, I don't want to know um, about myself. But it was, I can't believe I actually put it in my story. And it, and it taught me, no matter how awkward and terrible, when someone tells you the truth, you put it in your story. 
That's amazing advice. And again, Jane, I could I could talk to you forever, and I would love to spend another hour talking about what it was like as a female journalist when there were very few anywhere, let alone in Iraq, and the doors you've opened. But I do want to talk to John, uh, who is also here. Uh, and John, your career is not quite as uh, spectacular on the front uh, pages, but you have had an amazing career in publishing. So I'm curious, uh, as a guy who graduates Skidmore College, what leads you into publishing? So I was working at Vice in the early 2000s, and I think that was probably very similar place to cream in the in the early 70s when, when Jan was there. And it really sort of was an epoch defining kind of publication and, and brand obviously went on to a lot of uh, bigger and, and crazier things and changed a lot. And, you know, that was a really interesting place for me because I got to have the opportunity to do a lot of different things. And I think that's in, for a lot of people in the publishing world, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of dilettantes in a way. We like to dip in and out of different worlds and, you know, learn a little bit about a lot of things. And, you know, at one moment being, uh, you know, dealing with something in music and then dealing with something uh, in film. And then you have a project uh, that's travel based. And, you know, I think that is always a, that's like the fun part of doing a culture magazine um, and publishing is, you know, you get exposed to a lot of different people and places and, and opportunities. You're not, you know, you're not pigeonholed into any one thing. So um, that was, you know, that was what attracted me to it and, uh, you know, kept me in it by hook or by crook for all those years. You know, I think music has always probably for me been the thing that, you know, I, I was always a, the fan of, I was always a fan and, you know, never really went terribly close to it at Vice, other than probably, you know, doing some events and whatnot. And, you know, I saw that there was a, a big opportunity with Cream and, you know, we had to, we had to pull the trigger on it. It was, it was the right time and we had the right team that we could get together. And, you know, everything is about timing. And, you know, when, when, you know, that, when that card was played, it was, it was just simply, okay, let's go. We got to make this happen. And I know it's interesting, actually, both you and Jan, at least as I can tell, uh, sort of started and worked your way up from in largely in one company, at least that initial phase. So your first job out of college is vice as I think an account manager. And then eventually you work your way up in this, you know, stratosphere of that. Was, was that a frightening prospect to sort of leave that place and start this, I guess, newer venture? No, it wasn't really frightening at all. Um, organizations and institutions change uh, with the people that are make them up. Um, you know, that really seems to be, I think, what makes uh, any entity live or die. It's the people that are there. And, you know, by the time that uh, by the time that I was done with Vice, um, and Vice was done with me. Uh, you know, it was very much, um, you know, probably not uh, the place for me at the time. And, um, you know, that's why I think Cream was so exciting because it had that momentum and that, that feeling of, you know, something's really going to happen that I felt a lot at Vice uh, in the early days that, you know, this could really have a big impact and take over the world. So, um, you know, it wasn't scary. It wasn't scary at all. We're doing things, uh, you know, very differently than Vice did. There are some similarities, 
Um, but you know, there's, a, there's enough differences, you know, I know, uh, you know, I've, I've learned things the hard way and <laughs> cream's going to benefit from that. So, um, you know, we really, I, I was, I gravitated to cream because I saw the opportunity to have that, that feeling of building something again and really making an impact. And part of the impact, I guess, you know, to kind of get to the theme of our month. So this has been a month-long programming here in Rocktober uh, about rock music. And so I guess one of the questions I've been you know, talking to all of our guests about, and, and you two are probably the best positioned to give us an opinion on this, is is kind of what is rock and roll? I mean, what what does that mean? What are, what? So to you, what is rock? Is it a particular style of music? Is it an attitude? Is it a history? What is rock? Jan, how about you? I think you still have to give rock its, its place. It's like you don't want a rock star dentist or you don't want a rock star architect. You know, I hate how it's lost its meaning in the culture. Um, I don't think that rock has gone away. I mean, back to Metallica, Metallica still sells out. I mean, people still buy those records. When you look at vinyl sales, you see that the preponderance of sales are with rock albums and they're often rock albums from earlier eras and i think that it's been forced underground and if anything rock is the new underground it's like your guilty pleasure um i still listen to it i don't exclusively listen to my old records because i'm playing memories i i really like to play music that that i like now you know maybe it's not as headbangery as it used to be or so proto-punk you know, would I still listen to on um, Iggy? I would. You know, I, I still like Queens of the Stone Age to bring it a little further forward. But, you know, now I'm listening to things like Bill Callahan or, or Wise Blood or things that aren't necessarily rock, but they're, they're boundary pushing kind of music. And I, I think that's where I land, no matter what it is. But I do think that the rock is vital. I mean, there's this whole like hair metal revival. I mean, there's books and there's a couple of documentaries right now. So, Somebody wants that. And are we still America's only rock and roll band, rock and roll band, rock and roll magazine? Yeah, probably, probably more now than we were before. Before it was just, you know, bragging. Like it was, it was maybe false, false bragging. It's like, you know, Kiss saying they're the best band in the land. So, um, but I, I think it's valid. I, and I do think, again, there, even if we said on the cover, rock is dead and print is dead. Well, it might be buried, but it's not dead. It's coming back. John Heffrey, how, how do you define rock? What is for you is the, the nature of that musical genre? Well, it was the original pop music in a lot of ways, and it had a sound. And then that sound started evolving and mutating and created all these subgenres and, and niches. And so then the concept of rock and roll got diluted a little bit. Um, but I think the rock and roll tent is bigger than ever. And it's just that you have uh, audiences who have been sort of put in corners as, oh, you're a, you're a metal fan and that's it. Or, oh, you're a punk fan or, oh, you're a, you're a folk fan. And, you know, I, I think rock and roll has the ability to be this uniting force um, for people coming together to celebrate and to commune. And, you know, that's, you know, that was, that's really the whole point of it, regardless of genre. So, I, you know, I always, I always use a Metallica reference here. I always say that, you know, whether you're a Metallica fan or a Haim fan, 
you're both rock and roll fans. Yeah, it's just they might not sound anything like each other, but those are rock and roll fans, and they're all under. You know, we're trying to be a big tent uh, company and not uh, not a, a, a niche. Um, not not trying to pigeonhole our audience. Um, you know, if you liked the Stooges in 1969 and you grew up with that, you might like the Viagra Boys in 2022. I mean, it's interesting. So, so I guess the answer it goes back to Billy Joel. Uh, the news may sound funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. And I, I love that answer. I think that's exactly right. But I do think, you know, and and one of the issues, and I'll say just for me as, a, as an older person, um, is where one finds new music. When I was young, it was a magazine like Cream, and I'd say, I've never heard of that band. I'll go try and listen to them. Or it was on radio shows. You know, I'm in my little Dallas town, uh, they would rebroadcast John Peel from the BBC, mm-hmm. uh, and I would hear, like, the Pixies, and I would say, oh, my God, I, I love that. I got it. So for you all, where can people find the new rock bands, the replacement for Queens of the Stone Age or Metallica or the Stooges? Where am I going to find the Viagra Boys? Where do I find this new music? Well, hopefully in terms of our page, yeah, and our pages, you know, on on our website. I mean, where do I find it? You got to find it to write about it too, though. So it's your job, Jan. It is your job. (laughs) It it is my job. You know, you really. I used to work for um, Rhapsody, which is now Napster, and they taught us one of the best things that I still do this day. Like before, anything would go up into our playlist, we'd have to listen to it, and you might able to listen to 10 seconds of it you know or you listen to the whole thing but really it's, it's all in the listening you really have to listen to like the spotify new music friday things and if not then you're missing it you know you just can't say oh they don't make any music like they used to you know they they really do you know the, the music is still valid they're still saying something but you have to go out and find it you know it's not going to find you yeah and it word of mouth is always going to be stronger than any algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just hearing it because Spotify recommends it, that's great. And that much plays, it's probably fairly forgettable. If your cooler, older brother or, you know, really friend you respect uh, or it gives you, gives you music or you see a band that you like wearing the T-shirt of a band you've never heard of, that goes so much further mm-hmm. than any sort of digital uh, algorithmic recommendation service. And Cream is trying to be part of that. He should be trusted source for music discovery and rediscovery of artists that aren't necessarily new, but are still doing interesting things and we think deserve a spotlight. No, and I'm glad to have Cream back. I will say I have relied on my college roommate, Sean Beheimer, who is that person who never gave up on music and stayed active. And he constantly is sending me thumb drives and saying, download all of this. And then I end up with 100 albums from bands I've never heard of. And I, they've introduced me to amazing bands. But now I can go to Cream and I can pay him back. Uh, Jan and John, you've been amazing. Now, ACDC has For Those About to Rock as their closer. And here at Pop Life, our perpetual encore hit is a game we call The Fast Five. So Jan and John... I'm going to give you five either-or questions about your love of rock music. I'm going to ask you to make tough choices here. I'll go back and forth, and then I'll give you a final question for both of you. So I'll start with you, Jen. Which is more likely to be on your karaoke night singing list? Is it going to be Alice Cooper's School's Out or the Stooges' I Want to Be Your Dog? What are you, what are you singing at karaoke? 
Oh God, I sing both of them. You know, they're like my both my bands. So um, I guess the Stooges. You know, Iggy Iggy carries the same history. Some of my soul burns in that man. So Iggy. I w- I look forward to hearing you someday. I want to hear I want to hear you <laughs> sing both of them. So John, for you, if you could go back in time. Which legendary rock show would you rather attend? Would it be Elvis's first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show or the Beatles at Shea Stadium? Sullivan Show. Because I don't think anybody could hear anything at the Beatles. I think that, that's the legendary. Everyone was there and all they could hear that were people was, screaming. Yeah, that, yeah you, you'd get drowned out. You wouldn't actually hear any music. So, Jan, question number three is for you. Now, everybody wants to be a rock star, apparently especially actors, including the legendary William Shatner, Star Trek's Captain Kirk. So which of these William Shatner cover songs would you be more likely to add to your daily playlist? Would it be William Shatner's rendition of Elton John's Rocket Man or his take on the Beatles' Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Oh, I so never liked Star Trek and I don't like him. I just want to go to the Shea Stadium Beatles show because John didn't. Like, um, I guess I would have to say the latter, but neither. Yeah, Lucy in the yeah. Sky. I, I think I don't think William Shatner will be on the cover anytime soon. <laughs> so, John, I got to ask you now that you have helped bring cream back into popular culture, which other rock institution do you want to revive? Would it be the televised rock concerts of NBC's The Midnight Special, which ran from 1972 until 1981 or American Bandstand hosted by Syracuse University's own Dick Clark from 1952 until 1989? Midnight Special only because I'm too young to remember exactly what it was. And I feel like American Bandstand has been attempted to be revived and everyone who does it just makes a cornier and cornier version of it. I would I would actually like to see you all do. I think Austin City Limits is kind of the closest we have to the old midnight special. But boy, that was I remember staying up late to watch that and seeing Mm. bands I had never heard of and being blown away. and, And that was another great place to get new music. So finally, question number five for both of you. Which contemporary musical artist is least likely to grace the cover of the new Cream magazine? Would it be pop megastar Katy Perry or K-pop sensation BTS? Which is least likely to appear on your next issue? Wow. (laughs) Or maybe they're both coming on. I I could be entirely wrong. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. It's more like the question is, which one do you like the least? So... In that case, I guess BTS. All right, so no butter for you, John. Any opinion on that? <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. BTS is least likely because I feel like every every pop star has a punk phase, and you know, you never know. Katy Perry might throw us a curveball and make a rock record one day, and we might it might be great. We can live in hope. So finally, I've got to ask you, uh, Jan and John. What are you loving in pop culture? Obviously, you're going to have some bands to mention, but as well, do you have a TV show you're loving or anything you're really digging these days? Jan, how about you? God, you know, I basically watch reruns of NCIS. I'm not like a real big <laughs> a television person. Um, I love uh, Gibbs's rules. I'm rule bound. You know, I, li- I like rules and I like to break them. So honestly, that and the, the music that I mentioned, I, I've just been kind of crazed over ways blood wise blood and um and then you go callahan are the two things that i've been playing nonstop. Right. so both of those no tv though no streaming 
I like the NCIS reruns. That's like all day on USA Network, I think. So, John, how about you? What are, what are you watching these days or a band you really want to champion for our listeners? Uh, I wanted to hate it, but I've been listening to the Wet Leg album a lot, and I think it's great. And every time I listen to it, I hear a band from my youth that I really loved, and uh, I kind of can't stop playing it. Uh, so Wet Leg would be one band. And uh, I also like uh, a band uh, called The Chisel, um, which just has sort of that original punk energy that uh, you know you don't really see all that much anymore. And um, I don't watch a ton of TV. I listen to a lot of music. As should be your job, young man. I love it. So Jan and John, you have been amazing. It has been so great to get insight into the history and future of Cream Magazines. I'll remind our listeners to be sure to follow Pop Life on your favorite podcast platform and keep an eye out for the third installment of our October series when we chat with an up-and-coming L.A. band, Goon. And as always, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, reach out to us on social media. We are at Poplife, W-A-E-R, on both Twitter and and Instagram, and I will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at waer.org, and don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes. Thank you.